because we're all good high school students, right? Y'all did all the homework you were assigned. So you guys definitely have already read Homer's Odyssey, right? You didn't just say you read it to get a good grade. <laughs> I'm sure I don't have to rehash the story for you, but I will, just in case. So the story of the Odyssey is about a man named Odysseus who's trying to get back home to his wife after the Trojan War. You know, the whole thing with the Trojan horse and all. And on his way back home, he encounters all kinds of outrageous adventures. There's a cyclops he has to fight. There's like whirlpools and, and sea creatures and monsters and the gods that are always throwing storms at him, trying to kill him and stuff. And one of the obstacles that Odysseus faces is the sirens. And if you're familiar with the sirens, they are, are two ladies who lived on an island. They're kind of mythical creature ladies, and, and they had beautiful singing voices. So that every sailor who sailed by their island would hear their singing voices and immediately become captivated by them. And they might jump out of their boat to try and swim to the island and drown in the sea on the way there. Or they might steer the ship towards the island and crash against the rocks and die that way. But every single person who heard the siren's song would become obsessed, would, would pursue them, and would die. Now, Odysseus is warned about them ahead of time. And so he, uh, he gets a bunch of wax and he stuffs the sailors' ears with wax so they can't hear anything. And he himself, he wants to hear the song, but he doesn't want to kill himself. So he gets them to tie him to the mast of the ship. And he says, no matter what, don't untie me. And so they sail past the sirens and, and they start their singing. And Odysseus hears it and is captivated. And he's shouting to the sailors like, let me go. Untie me. You don't understand. I want to go. I need to be with them. But the sailors ignore him because they can't hear anything. And they just sail past. And uh, he's saved. He's, he's saved getting past the sirens. He doesn't die. But when Homer wrote that, I think he touched on kind of a universal experience that we have as humans all over the, the world in all times, that there are sometimes things that are extremely enticing to us, things that we're very much drawn towards, that in the end will just kill us. And Paul touches on that in our, our passage in Colossians today, that there, there are things that the Colossian church is being drawn towards that are going to kill them. And he's warning them about it. They, they're, they're going towards something that's not Jesus because they think it, it's what they need. They, they wander away from Jesus. And so Paul's big message to the Colossians this morning and my message to you is don't wander away from Jesus. Don't wander away from Jesus. I'm going to encourage you to open your Bibles, Colossians chapter 2. We're going through Colossians as a church. We're going to start reading in, in verse 6 today. But I want to set the passage up a little bit. Last week, Pastor Tim reminded us that, uh, remember the people who wrote the Bible, the authors were, were real people like you and I. Uh, Paul wrote this book of Colossians and he had his own personal struggles that he shared with the Colossian church last week. This week, I want to think about the Colossian church. They, they're real people, a, a church body much like this that had their own problems and struggles. And, and so when Paul writes this letter to the Colossians, it's not simply one of those Hey, how you guys doing? Just checking in. Hope things are good. But no, he, he has a reason why he's writing to them. And his reason is he's heard that there's some sort of false teacher who's crept into their church. And, and he's in, encouraging them to, to pursue something different, to, 
be drawn away from Jesus. Now, we don't know exactly what type of heresy this teacher was, was sharing, uh, but we'll have some hints in our passage. But we do know that he was drawing people away from Jesus. And, and Paul's message to the Colossians is don't fall for it. Don't be tricked. It'll kill you. Don't wander away from Jesus. So we're going to read Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, down to verse 23. Now, I know that's a lot of verses to read out loud. So uh, we're going to take it up in chunks, and I'll talk through it a little bit as we go so you can track what Paul's saying through this passage. He's going to start off by giving us a positive command. Hey, I want you, Colossian church, to do this thing. And that positive command is stay rooted in Jesus. So Colossians 2, verse 6 and 7 Here it is. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. First positive command, stay rooted in Jesus. Now he's going to give a negative command. Don't do this, right? Don't wander away. Verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So just like in Homer's Odyssey, there's two sirens that draw people away. Paul has identified uh, two sirens that'll draw people away. The first one, human tradition, right? Don't wander away towards human tradition. What, what does the world think is a good idea? This strategy's worked for us. I think you should do it too. Don't fall for that. The second siren would be the elemental principles of the world. Now, that's a confusing phrase. It's also confusing in Greek. So, unfortunately, we don't get a ton of clarity. However, we have good reason to believe that Paul is talking about demonic forces here. Demonic forces that try to draw people away from Jesus. He'll refer to the elementary principles again later in our passage. Paul also has kind of a shorthand for demonic forces He calls them rulers and authorities. That'll come up later as well. But those are the two things drawing them away. So the second command, don't wander away from Jesus. Do stay rooted. Don't wander away. Now he's going to give us the reasons for his positive command. So verse 9 through 15. These are all the reasons why you should stay rooted in Jesus. Verse 9. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you've been filled in him, who's the head of all rule and authority. Those demonic forces I mentioned. In him also you were circumcised the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through, the, through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, demonic forces, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That's a whole lot of reasons to obey the command, stay rooted in Jesus. And the final portion of our passage, verses 16 through 23, here's the reasons you shouldn't wander away from Jesus. The reasons for that second negative command we saw. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or in regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason 
by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that's from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you are still alive in the world do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they're used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom, but in promoting self-made religion and aestheticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. I know we're several minutes into this, but let me, let me pray as we, we dive into to God's word together. God, thank you so much uh, for this letter to the Colossians. Thank you that there are people from long ago who have been in the same shoes that we're in, who are drawn and tempted in the same ways that we are. And yet you, you've, you've given solution. You've, you've spoken truth to them that is also truth to us. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would apply that truth to each of us this morning. We love you, Father. It's because of Christ we can pray. Amen. So I, I mentioned at the beginning of his, his passage, he gave us a positive command, stay rooted in Jesus, and a negative command, don't wander away. And he's giving these commands because first thing he wants us to know is that wandering is enticing. Wandering is, is enticing. Anytime you see a command in the Bible, the reason that it's written is because we're prone to do the opposite. Right? You read, children obey your parents. Why would he write that? In the, why would he write that in the Bible? Oh, because children are prone to not obey their parents. Like, makes sense. Or, or other places, uh, be kind, tenderhearted toward one another, forgiving one another. Why? That's a weird thing to write down. Oh, we're, we tend to not be kind and be bitter and unforgiving. We probably needed to hear that. Uh, and why does he give this command to stay rooted in Jesus, don't wander away? It's because we're prone to uproot from Jesus and go somewhere else. That's why he has to write this, because that's where we're, we're prone to do. And that's what the Colossian church was, was prone to do. But why? What's, what's drawing them away? What, what are they interested in that makes them, them wander? I mean, obviously there's a, a false teacher, but what is he offering? Now, this is going to sound weird, but stick with me. It'll make sense. I think the reason the Colossians are wandering away from Jesus is because they're trying to overcome their sin and the effects of their sin. Now, I hope you're thinking... If you want to defeat sin, shouldn't you stick with Jesus and not wander away from Jesus? Exactly. Yes. <laughs> but they're deceived. They're, they're deceived. They, they think the solution to their problem lies somewhere else. And so they wander away and actually become, uh, end up in a worse place than they started. This is kind of like someone who tells themselves, hey, I'm ready to make some real money. So what I'm going to do is quit my job and start gambling. Right? That's going to, I'm going to make some money. Well, now you have no job and no money. Right? Apparently wandering to something new didn't solve the problem. It, it made it worse. Or maybe it's someone who, who struggles with their, their body image and they think, you know what I need is a really strict diet and a really rigorous exercise routine. And they commit to that. And they become obsessed with that. And they're always working. And, and they never feel like they've arrived. They're never satisfied. They always have to do more. And it's all they can think about all the time. And all their energy and time is spent towards it. And they're less satisfied and, and more in danger than they were to begin with. There, there are things we can be drawn towards that 
don't help us, but make it worse. You know, this is why people join cults, right? People don't, don't join cults because they're crazy. They, they have a problem and they think that this will help. I don't have any friends. I don't have any close community. These people are so close. They help each other out. Every time I've spent time with them, they've just welcomed me in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go there. That'll, that'll solve my, my loneliness problem. Or I, my life is so undisciplined, I can't get things together. But they, th- they seem to have things together. Maybe if I follow their teachings and what they do, I'll get my life together. Or, or a popular one is, I really, I, I want my family to be close. I care about my family. This group seems like they really care about families and families are important. I'm going to go there and maybe that'll help me solve the problem of, of not having a, a close family. See, we, we end up wandering away because we're trying to solve a sin problem or the effects of sin in our life. We think there's something else that can help us. And That's what the Colossian church is falling prey to by wandering away from Jesus. And we might do the same thing. Say, hey, I have a lot of anxiety. I've got some struggles. There's too many responsibilities in my life. I need to get away from it. That's the solution. I'll I'll leave my spouse behind, my kids, the rest of my family, my job. I'll leave my church behind and I'll go somewhere else. And I hope that's going to be the solution. And it's not. You've actually left the thing that would help you, the thing that could, could save. Or, or maybe, I don't feel like I have my life in control at home. Everything is just scattered. Um, I, I need to get a really rigorous uh, schedule for everyone. We're all going to stick to this pattern. I read this book. It says, here's how we arrange our, our home life. And I'm going to only do organic food. I'm going to purge my house of everything that doesn't bring me joy. Right? And, and so then you think this is going to be the thing that saves you. And you find out afterwards... Oh, it, it didn't. My, my sinful flesh followed me even after I'd, I chased this, this brand new thing. And Paul's warning the Colossians, you're going to be tempted to, to go find some new thing that's going to be what saves you. And it won't. It's wandering away from Jesus. Now, I hope you're not hearing me say this morning, Shane, if, if I read a self-help book to try and organize some things in my life, or maybe if I go to counseling, or I start some new uh, management strategy for my life, that, does that mean I'm, I'm wandering away from Jesus? No, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that. But what I am suggesting is that none of those things can save you. None of those things can save you. It, they'll all end up disappointing you in the end. And so Paul tells the Colossian church, the, the second thing here is that wandering is disappointing. Right, we're, wandering is very enticing, but then when you do it, wandering is, it's disappointing. So let's, let's jump down to the, the latter section in our text in verse 16 and, and following. And, and the false teacher here is encouraging them to do something, right? He's drawing, he's giving them hope. Hey, I know you are struggling with these, these sin problems and effects of sin. I've, I've got an idea. And then the list of rules comes out. Here's all the steps you need to take. This is how to heal yourself, how to satisfy yourself, how to be happy, to get control of your life. And we see the rules that he has. They're all listed here. Uh, verse 16, there's questions about food and drink. Don't eat that. Don't drink that. You should, however, eat and drink these things. That's what you need to do to get your life in order. It goes on. Uh, re- observe these festivals, the new moon, the Sabbath. Here's how you need to organize your schedule. All the steps, do this, do this, do this. 
Verse 18, he goes on, he insists on asceticism. And that's just a word for, for living a really lowly life that doesn't enjoy a lot of physical pleasures. It sounds kind of spiritual. Hey, just, just do that. That'll solve the problem. He talks about, about visions and worship of angels as if to say, once you have these religious experiences, then you'll, you'll feel saved. Uh, here's the list. Do this. Do this. I have all the things that you can do. Honestly, people really like rules. <laughs> We do. We really love, we love, just tell us what to do. This, 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 I'll, I'll do it. Like if, if you started a new job tomorrow and you sat down at your desk and the boss walks up and he says to you, hey, today I want you to make this company some money. All right. And he walks away. <laughs> like, um, how? What do you want me to do? Just tell me, tell me what to do. I'll do the thing. Uh, honestly, pastors and church leaders, we're, we're guilty of this with you all sometimes too. We'll say, hey, I want you to go out there and share Jesus today. And you're like, yeah. You walk out the courtyard and you're like, how? What do I do? How do I, how do I share Jesus? I wish you would just tell me the list of things and I would go, I would go do them. And, and many churches across the globe and other religious organizations are very happy to present you with the list of rules you should be following. Here's what you got to do. You want to please God? You want to live a satisfied, happy life? Do what you're supposed to. Uh, don't drink. Don't smoke. Go to church Every Sunday morning, when you're in church, don't wear a hat in church. Uh, don't, don't dance. Don't go to the movies. Make sure that you read your Bible in the morning. The first, you have to do it in the, in the morning. Journal 30 minutes a day. That's also very important. Uh, homeschool your kids. Eh, Christian school your kids. No, public school your kids. Hey, have lots of kids. Don't have any kids. Get married young. Stay single. Become a missionary. Right? Paul, Paul addresses all these rules in verse 21. It's do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. They've got all the rules. They're telling you what to do with the rules. Well, unfortunately, following rules will always be disappointing. And that's because if you try to follow the rules, only one of two things can happen. Either one, you can't keep the rules, or two, you can keep the rules, and both are equally disappointing. Obviously, if you don't keep the rules, that's disappointing. Because you think, all right, I just have to follow these 10 steps for a happy life or to satisfy whatever I'm craving and solve my problems. And you try and you try and you just can't do it. I tried to follow all the rules and I'm not good enough. Now I'll never be satisfied. Now I'll never reach my goal. It's very disappointing to try to follow the rules and fail. But likewise, it's actually disappointing to follow the rules and succeed. The false teacher here has succeeded in keeping all the rules and telling everyone else what the rules are. And the re result is that he's become extremely arrogant. Well, what's he doing in verse 16? He's passing judgment on them. You guys aren't good enough. Can't follow the rules like me. Verse 18, he's disqualifying them. And it says later in, in verse 18 that he's, he's puffed up without reason, feeling like he's, he's better than others. Puffed up without reason in his sensuous mind. Now, sensuous is an interesting word. Because in the original Greek, it's the word fleshly, a fleshly mind. See, the sinful flesh was the thing he was trying to escape all along. The sinful flesh is the thing that we're trying to escape, the effects of our sin, the problems of our sin. And he says, keep the rules, you can escape it. But the flesh knows there's a back door if you keep the rules. And now his mind is captured by the very flesh he was trying to escape from. 
He's arrogant and he's not, it says in verse uh, 19, he's not holding fast to the head. That's Jesus Christ. I don't need Jesus. I've done it all on my own. I can keep the rules. And he's, he's not knit together with the body. He's not growing with the growth from God. People who keep the rules don't grow because they don't need Jesus. And keeping the rules ends up being extremely disappointing. Paul sums up the section pretty well at the end when he says, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom. See, no one would chase after it if it didn't sound wise. It always sounds good. They have an appearance of wisdom in promoting the self-made religion, asceticism, seems so spiritual and lowly, uh, severity to the body, what good discipline they have. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. They make big promises that they cannot deliver on. It ends up becoming a gospel of do more, do these additional things. Once you do these things and follow these steps, then you'll be healed. And, and the gospel of do more is extremely disappointing. It's one of those, those sirens that draws us toward itself. We think it'll save us and it ends up being destructive and killing us. There's only one person who can save you from your sinful flesh and his name's Jesus. So Paul, the third thing he shares here is that Jesus alone saves. Yes, wandering is enticing, but wandering will lead you to disappointment. Fortunately, Jesus alone saves. So back up to section 9 through 15 where he gives the reasons why you should stick with Jesus. Paul sees the Colossian church being drawn away, being, being fooled and deceived into trying to do more. He says, here's the solution. I'm going to tell you about who Jesus is and what Jesus did. There is, there's no rules in this section. There's no follow these five steps. It's, it's just telling you about what Jesus did. Now, I don't, I don't usually do book recommendations from the stage, but this is a great book. It is called A Gospel Primer by Milton Vincent. Gospel Primer by Milton Vincent. Now, Vincent uh, had been a Christian for quite a while, and he realized that he felt he was still struggling with some very simple, basic sin problems, and he was struggling to learn some basic spiritual disciplines. And someone encouraged him to preach the gospel to himself every day. So he says he's going to try that. And, and he gets some three-by-five cards, and he looks in the scriptures, and he says, this is, this is what the gospel means for my life. And he, he writes down a few things on, on a card. He gets another one, writes down another truth from the scripture on a card. And then he would just spend every day, every morning, reading those cards to himself, reminding himself of the truth of the gospel. And as he read the Bible more, he discovered there's more true things about what Jesus did for him on the cross and through resurrection. He writes those down on additional cards, and the stack of cards starts to grow and grow, and eventually that stack of cards becomes this book. Just truths about the gospel that he was reminding himself of every day. And, and he mentions that preaching the gospel to himself every day has made more of a difference in changing his life than any other discipline he's ever pursued. A gospel primer, Milton Vincent. And so Paul realizes the thing that these Colossians need isn't new rules or different rules. They need to be reminded of the truth of the gospel. So that's what he's going to do. Verse 9 and 10. 
For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who's the head of all rule and authority. The the God of the universe who controls every single demonic force and sinful thing that's plaguing you, he came to earth bodily, and then he fills you. The idea of fill is being you're filled up to the brim, you're made absolutely complete. There's nothing missing. Gospel truth Number one, in Christ, you are lacking nothing. Paul goes on, verse 11. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, circumcision was something that God had given to his people in the Old Testament, the times before Jesus, and it was a sign or a promise that was supposed to look forward to something greater, the promise that God was going to keep In the future, our our text in verse 17 says that the laws that God gave in the past were just shadows of something to come in the future. And that's something, the substance of it belonged to Jesus. So this, this rule of circumcision was meant to point forward to something greater. So Jesus shows up and when Jesus dies on the cross and raises from the grave, he, he doesn't remove just a tiny physical piece of flesh and toss it away. He says, no, I'm going to remove all of the spiritual sinful flesh that's stuck to you, every last bit of it, and cast that away and throw that away from you. Removing the body of the flesh, that's something different. That's the circumcision of Christ. Gospel truth number two. In Christ, my sinful flesh has already been removed. Paul's not done. He keeps going. Verse 12 having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through the faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. When Jesus dies on the cross and he's buried in the grave, our old self, that sinful old self was buried with him, dead. But then, when Jesus raises from the dead, he raises up us up with him as well. And, and we're given a new life. The old life is left behind and a new life comes up. That's why we get baptized. And, and we talked about that. We're doing baptisms at Easter. We'd love for you to partake in that. But it represents that you were dead, but now you're made alive. You're, you're someone new. Gospel truth number three, in Christ, I'm made new. And Paul's still not done. He goes on in verse 14, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. When Jesus went to the cross, he took a really big, long list of our sins, of your sins, and it's a long list. And next to each sin is listed the consequence or the punishment of that sin. So it says on this list, sin number one, punishment, death and eternal separation from God. Sin number two, punishment, death and eternal separation from God. Sin number three, death and eternal. It goes on and on for a long list. But on the cross, Jesus folds up the entire list. He puts it on his hand and it's nailed to the cross with him. And Jesus' blood washes the list completely clean. There's no more record of sin. There's no more debt that you owe. Gospel truth number four, in Christ... You are not guilty. 
And that's what Paul's reminding them of. That's how they're going to conquer their sinful flesh. That's how they're going to defeat it. Not by doing something more, but remembering what has already been done on their behalf through Jesus Christ. And he closes out this section telling the Colossians probably the best news, the thing that they've really wanted to hear. In verse 15, he says, talking of Jesus, he disarmed the rulers and authorities those demonic forces, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. All, all those demonic forces that plague you, those sins that taunt you, uh, those circumstances in your life right now that are threatening to undo you, they're powerless. They're, they're lions without any teeth. Bears without any claws. Yeah, yeah, they can growl at you. They can beat their chest, try and get big and cast a shadow over you, but they can't touch you. They, they can't hurt you. They can't make you guilty again. They can't stop God's work of sanctifying you and making you like Jesus. They can't influence your eternal destination. They can't move you towards ruin and destruction. They can do nothing because they've been disarmed by Jesus and put to open shame because he's triumphed over them already. The, the gospel isn't something that we graduate from as if, oh, I just, I needed the gospel when I first became a Christian. And, and that's how I entered into this, this conversation with Jesus. But later on, I, I move on to something more. No, Paul says, the gospel is the thing you stay rooted in your entire life. The gospel isn't something you move on from. You say, this is what Jesus did. This is where I am. I'm going to stand right here because Jesus has already conquered everything for me and I'm, I'm in him. Now, I... I know there are people here who are, are hurting, people looking for a, a solution to your, your sin struggle. You want to be free from fear, from, from stress, free from lust and, and, and sadness. And, and maybe you, you will, you know, God, God will use a book to help you. Or maybe Jesus will, will work through a, a counselor to help you or, or some strategy, but none of those things can save you on their own. Jesus alone is the one who saves. The gospel of do more will crush you. But the gospel of it's already done, that one saves you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that it is finished. Thank you, God, that it's already done. We don't have to work. We don't have to find some sort of secret. God, you've made it very obvious that you are the one who saves and you alone, Lord. Uh, there are those of us who are, are looking for salvation. We want to be healed. And then the temptation is to turn to something else, God, but that's, that's pointless and it'll end up hurting us and killing us. Lord, I pray that everyone in this room, myself included, would stay deeply rooted in Jesus and we wouldn't wander away because you are the one who heals and you alone are the one who saves us. We love you, Father. Thank you so much for blessing us with Jesus Christ. It's his name we're able to pray this morning. Amen.